Hey everybody, today's podcast is a continuation of the Facebook Live Bible study that we've been doing with Christ Walk Church. We hope that you enjoy it. Uh, last week we started with talking about the blood and the cross, and we talked about the benefits of the blood, what the blood offers, what the blood gives us access to, but we also talked about what the blood is not, and how though the blood forgives me and covers and cleanses my sins, it does not deal with my sins. So we're going to go back in, uh, kind of right there where we left off last time. We're going to pick up there. We're going to study a little bit more uh, about, not really about the blood that much, but we're going to go into the cross tonight. And we're going to talk about that in detail, what that means, what that offers uh, for us. And then moving forward, what we're going to have to do in order to, to start walking out that normal Christian life. Okay. So last week we learned the value and power in the blood. We also learned and we ended with the fact that the blood can wash away my sins, but it cannot wash away my old man. All right. So we know that that requires the cross to crucify me. So in short, this is what we learned last week. The blood deals with the sins, the S-I-N-S, you know, but the cross deals with the sinner. It is the last part that we're going to talk about tonight. So we're going to talk about dealing with the sinner tonight. We're going to talk about Okay, so I understand that my sins are forgiven. I've pleaded the blood. I've asked for forgiveness. I have his blood now cleansing me. Great, but sometimes I still want to sin. So I still want to commit sin. So what, what's up with that? What's going on there? Uh, I need some help. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to tackle that problem tonight. Okay, so the word sinner, S-I-N-N-E-R, someone who commits sins, is first prominently seen in chapter 5 of Romans. And it says a lot about why it's there and what happens if we look at how the sinner is introduced. Okay, so the word says a sinner is a sinner because he was born a sinner, not because he has committed sins. Okay, we, we talked about this. We mentioned this in the very first um, Bible study that we did two, three weeks ago, I think now, three weeks ago now. We mentioned it there and we kind of touched on it, but we didn't really go into um, detail on that. Okay. Um, so we are not sinners because we commit sins. We're sinners. And the Bible says we are sinners because we were born sinners. Okay. So that distinction is super important for us to understand in us walking out the normal Christian life. So think of the common use of Romans 3.23. Okay. So Romans 3.23 for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Okay. A lot of us know that verse. A lot of us have heard that verse. If we've grown up in church, if we've just started coming to church, chances are at one point or another, we have heard the verse Romans 3.23 for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Okay. But the most common use of that verse is to explain to someone that they're a sinner. We use that verse to say, hey, listen, everybody has sinned, which means I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and that's just how it is, so you need forgiveness, okay? But here's where we mess up. If we're going to use the verse in that context, which what we're learning now is not correct, because if I'm telling you, now listen, for all have sinned, so since you've sinned, you've fallen short of the glory of God, that makes you a sinner, that means you need Jesus, okay? Well, then here's the problem. The solution to them needing forgiveness of the fact that they have fallen short is the blood, okay? But the solution to them being a sinner is not the blood. So what I'm doing is I'm telling them that the reason they're a sinner is because they sin. 
So then I'm telling them the blood can cover your sin. Well, then what I do is I create a believer who now thinks that because they've pleaded the blood, their sin is forgiven and the issue of sin in their life is taken care of as well. The church has been teaching this for a long time in, in the modern day um, setup that we have with the church today. We've been teaching that, look, everybody sins, so you're a sinner, but you need forgiveness. And when you get forgiveness, you know, you, you plead the blood and you're good. And that's just not the truth. You, you need the blood to forgive you of your sins. But the problem is the Bible says we were born sinners. Meaning before I ever had the opportunity to sin, I was a sinner. So the sin in me still exists even after I've been forgiven and washed in the blood. We are sinners by constitution, not action. So we are sinners by the fact that something deep within me is determined to sin. There is a problem. There is something that has decided in me I'm going to sin. And because of that, I'm a sinner. It's not because of the exterior actions. It's because of the problem internally that I'm a sinner. That we sin is simply the evidence of the sin within us, not the causation. There are bad sinners and good sinners. There are moral sinners and corrupt sinners. But nonetheless, they are all sinners and they need to be delivered. So the fact that I am a sinner has nothing to do with what I do externally. You can give all your money to the poor. You can go to church every single day. You, this, you can pray. You can do this. But if you've not dealt with the sin issue inside of you, by birth, you are still a sinner. Okay, so this is very, very important for us to understand if we're going to see the value in the cross. Okay, so... We now know that the trouble lies far deeper than what we do. It lies with what we are. Okay, so I have to understand and realize, look, at the base root of me, before Jesus, before I accept him, before I give everything to him, before I crucify my flesh and I walk with Jesus, the base, the base of it all, I'm still a sinner. And I need to, to kill that sin within me in order to solve the problem of the sin that I commit around me. Okay? It is birth that has made me a sinner and it is only death that can give me the opportunity for righteousness. This is huge. Okay. This has probably been one of the greatest realizations and the greatest sources of freedom for me in my walk with the Lord is the understanding that the problem I had was because I was born a sinner. Okay. And since I was born a sinner, all right, I now have a problem that can only be fixed by death. Okay? This is the this is the my opinion, okay? This is just simply my opinion. Um a a big 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 problem in the church today is that we believe that we can work hard enough or we can get motivated enough or we can be excited enough, or we can be called to ministry enough, or we can, you know, X, Y, or Z enough that our sin begins to, to fade away. Or we believe that we're just going to struggle with sin forever, and so we're just stuck with it. So instead of learning to live separate from sin, we just learn how to live with sin, and we kind of try to cope with it, all right? None of that is God's plan for our life. None of that is God's desire for us, okay? So the blood brings about our pardon for what we have done, but the cross brings about our deliverance from what we are, all right? Here is the awesome thing about this. 
in learning the the value and the reality of the normal Christian life, what you're also going to start to understand is things that you've been doing, things that God has given the church that we have overlooked and undervalued because we haven't realized how to actually walk like Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to present this in the way for you that I really want you to think about, okay? So if the blood brings my pardon for what I have done, I realize Oh my gosh, I have a revelation. The blood of Jesus covers me so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see a Jonah the sinner. He sees the blood of Jesus. It also means that when I look at me, I don't see Jonah who's messed up his whole life. I see Jonah who's covered in the blood of Jesus because I understand the value in the blood. It also means when the devil comes to God and he says, look what Jonah just did. Look what Jonah did a year ago. God says, I don't see that. I just see the blood of Jesus. Oh my gosh, the blood of Jesus is so beautiful to me. And then I look at the death and the cross and what it means. And I say, the cross brings deliverance. Jesus' broken body on the cross 2,000 years ago for me brings deliverance, meaning that I can be delivered from what I am internally that is the problem. That makes communion such a valuable, beautiful thing for me to partake in. This is why I cannot now make it through a communion service without crying. Because I understand and I comprehend the beauty that Jesus has given me the opportunity to have through the blood and through his body being broken on the cross. That is why communion is to be so sacred, so valued, and taken so often. Because what we've done is we've devalued communion and we've forgotten what it meant. So now what we're actually called to be is a past thought and a past memory. And most of us have zero knowledge about it because beautiful things that we've been given by Jesus have been devalued. So now we have people who think they're Christians, but they're merely believers. We have to grasp this if we're going to be who we're called to be. We have to grasp this if we're going to walk worthy of our calling. That was a side note. I apologize. I got a little passionate about that. But I just feel so passionately about this because it has changed my life. Jesus has changed my life when I've actually understood him and I've actually started walking with him. It's like nothing I've ever encountered before, okay? So let's jump back into Romans. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Okay, I'm going to read that real quick. Romans 5, 12 through 21 says this. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one's trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, 
Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This passage brings into contrast grace with sin and the obedience of Jesus with the disobedience of Adam. So here we're seeing in comparison what Adam did and his sin versus Jesus' righteousness. And then we see Adam's disobedience versus Jesus' obedience. And we see what Adam did to us and what Adam did to humanity condemning us than what God did redeeming us through Jesus. This is a valuable lesson and a valuable um comparison for me to learn in order to walk out the normal Christian life. Not just to hear it, not just to read it, but to know it both in my mind and in my heart, to know it intimately and to continue to be learning the deeper levels of it as I walk with Jesus. This, okay, so Romans 5, 12 to 21 that I just read, that is going to lead us into the deeper, um, the, the next section of Romans 1 through 8. Remember in uh, the first Bible study, I told you that Romans is going to be divided up. Romans 1 through 8 is going to be divided into two sections, okay? This is now us entering into the second half of Romans 1 through 8, okay? So that verse that I just read is kind of the starter of that, okay? So at the beginning of our Christian life, we are concerned with our doing, not with our being. We are upset or convicted rather by what we have done more than by what we are. This is just simple if we think about it, okay? How many of you, when you've gotten saved, and even now, maybe you've been saved for a long time, and this is still what you think about now, is we put, let's say that something happens and I mess up, okay? I begin to feel convicted and to have a problem with what I have done, okay? A lot of times not even realizing that what I've done is a result of who I am. I somehow, and, and I did this, but I still don't know how I did this. I had rationalized in my mind how what I was doing was the problem without the understanding that what I was doing was being birthed from what I am or what I was, okay? So we... In the American church, I believe, have become fixated on what we do and not understood that what we do always comes from who we are. So we've created a gospel that tries to fix, not even, not even by elimination, it tries to fix what we do by making us feel okay about it or, or giving us a message of grace that says, look, that's what you do, but you're just going to have to do that because you're a human. You're going to be able to go through these times where you don't sin for a month, then you sin. Then you don't sin for two months, then you sin. And really righteous people, they can go like six months without sinning. And we give people this gospel that says, look, you have to sin because you're human. You're going to sin. I'm sorry about it. That's just how it is. But but there's grace and God's going to forgive your sin. That's not really the gospel. Because what that's telling me is, look, God created you for something. But Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, you became broken. 
Okay, and so now God couldn't really fix the fact that you're broken, but he can just wash and wipe away what happens because you're broken. I don't believe that. I believe that a God who loves me and who created me for a purpose, even though I'm broken, he through Jesus has created the opportunity for me to be mended and me to be made whole and me to be reformed into the likeness of God. That is what I believe Jesus did. That is what the cross allows. So now when when I look at the problem of sin in my life, it's not based off of externally what I'm doing. It's based off of internally before it ever turns into action, I have a conviction about what I am that leads me to sacrificing, killing, murdering, crucifying my flesh and walking out the life that Jesus has called me to. This is a normal Christian life. This is what we've been called to. We think so many times we think that if we could reverse, undo, make better, you know, or, or rectify things that that we should be good Christians or we could be good Christians. We think, you know, well, I messed that up. Dang it. Well, I did this and I did that. If I could just go back and I could just change it, if I could go back and I could just fix it, then then I could be, you know, I could be a good Christian. You know, if I could just fix all these actions, if I could just fix all these mistakes. So what happens is we become Christians who fixate on our mistakes to the point that they become our God. And not only mistakes we, we've already made, we fixate on the mistakes we're scared we're going to make. And because of that, we end up in this conflict and this turmoil between who I'm called to be and the problems that I that I see with myself. And it's just, just this miserable thing that happens over and over and over again of me being scared of what I've done, but then me hoping that maybe I can be good enough to not do anything like that again. And I think that maybe if I can just act good enough, I'll be a good Christian. And that is textbook old covenant living. That is textbook living under the law. And that is what Jesus came to abolish and he came to set up a new order and he, he came to reform us into what God intended us to be. So the problem is so many Christians set out to change their actions, but we soon realize that that doesn't produce like we'd hoped. Now we see that it's something more than just a case of exterior mistakes. There's much more serious trouble on the inside of me. We realize something in us still longs for the things we regret. This is such a hard place to come to when you understand, oh my word, I hate all those things that I've done, but on occasion there's a part of me that rises up that still wants to do something similar again. And we're like, what in the world is going on? But yet again, the church has convinced us. Pastors have convinced us. Leaders have convinced us. We've convinced ourselves that we're stuck this way because it's easier. I'm telling you, I'm telling you this, it is easier to believe the lie that you're going to have to sin. And so then it's okay when you do, because he'll be waiting there to forgive you. I'm not saying there's not always forgiveness, but I am saying that the normal Christian life, the created intended, perfect Christian life is not for you to struggle with sin. It's not for you to continually go through this cycle of sin and don't sin, sin and don't sin, sin and don't, that, that's not what we were created to do. We were created to live separate. We were created to understand that what is in us needs to be killed so that the problem can be solved. We have to come to the realization of, Lord, I get it. Not only what I do is wrong, but I am wrong. 
When you come to that realization, God can begin to use you. He can begin to work on you and you can begin to walk out the Christian life. This alone, this understanding, this revelation alone is the, is the major thrust to, to begin walking like you were created to walk and beginning to walk like Jesus. You have to realize that not just what you do is wrong, but you internally, what you what makes you up apart from Jesus is wrong. So you have to get rid of and abolish all of those things. And that's when it starts working out your salvation amongst yourself. You have to start to get rid of those things and, and chisel those things away and let God remove those as he requests them from you and takes them away. And you have to become sold out to him. And so that what happens is you start to live at a higher level of conviction and a higher level of separation from the world. And you start to get closer and closer to your original intention of what God has called you to be. We are members of a race that is at its core something other than what God intended it to be. But Jesus came to reform us into beauty. He came to reform us into the bride. He came to take what the earth had corrupted and give us something beautiful again. That is my heart through this Bible study is to... Is to Show the heart of God for what he has created us to be so that what has been corrupted by the world, what has been changed by the world, what has been molested by the world and made impure and what has been it's been penetrated by by these man-made ideas and man-made theology. My goal, my heart, my passion is to reform it into the likeness of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can begin to walk like Christ again. I have to understand. So Jesus came to restore and reform and give back more than what Adam lost. But what I have to understand is that I was in Adam, so I was born of Adam. So the trouble that I have is inherited. It is something that is in my genes. It's in my makeup. It's in my DNA. It is a, it's, like, it's like you might have brown hair because your dad has brown hair. You're a sinner because Adam was a sinner. In the same way that, that you have ancestors way back, that you probably have traits that you have inherited from them, the trait of sin you inherited from Adam, all the way down, we all have. And so it's not something that is simply a matter of me fixing my actions. It takes me understanding the core root of this problem and then taking God's way, God's steps, God's measures to handle it. So unless I change my parentage, unless I change my family, there is no hope for me. Since this was inherited by my family, I need a new family in order to walk in the newness of God. I have to have a new life. I have to have a new standard. I have to have a new um, ancestry. I have to lay claim to a new ancestor in order for me to be free from what I was born into. So in Adam, I receive everything that came from Adam. But the beauty is, in Christ, I can receive everything that came through Christ. Every single thing. Everything Jesus gives us access to, I have full, full, full access to. Because I can lay claim to the ancestry of Jesus in my life. So, this is a, this is a, um, it can be complex to understand in a way, but I think I have a, an easy way to explain it. We have to understand that we were in Christ when he died, okay? We, we were able to partake in Christ's crucifixion with him 
2,020 years ago, the same way that we were like, this is the example I give sometimes when I teach this. If my great, 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 great grandfather had died before he had given birth to my ancestor that was his child, okay, I wouldn't be here. All right. He wasn't my father and I wasn't directly in him, but by way of connection of ancestry, if he had died before, if he had died as a child, I wouldn't be in existence. In the same way, we have that ancestry and that connection to Jesus. We were in him as a spiritual ancestor, as the father of, of the new life of humanity. We have the opportunity spiritually to be in Jesus when he was crucified, meaning that we now can partake in his crucifixion and we can receive freedom through death of the flesh of what we were born into. Our doom is in Adam, but there is glory in Jesus. I believe that God fully intends for this consideration to lead to our practical deliverance from sin. We, the church is so good at giving impractical solutions to things. The church is so good at giving these high and mighty spiritual sounding things. We either, we either as the church make it overcomplicated or oversimplified. There is no practical application of walking out the Christian life. But it is simply through me understanding that Jesus gives me the opportunity to kill my flesh and say no to my sinful desires through his death on the cross that I have access to. If I believe the word and I give faith and lay claim to the word of God and what he says about me, then I can be free from the sin that I was born into. And if you if you think about it, it, there's no other way for God to father me. There's no other way for me to be a part of him. There's no other way for me to partake in all that he has. Because how could a holy God be satisfied to have unholy sin-filled children? There has to be 100% opportunity for me to be cleansed, for me to be free, because I have to walk in righteousness in order to partake in the fullness of the relationship God desires for me. God's goal for me is not to just encounter him externally every once in a while. His, his desire is to commune with me internally on a regular basis all the time. And that's only possible through somebody who has died, whose flesh is dead and they are now alive in Christ. So the question is, how do we end our sinful family line and how do we exit? So simplistically, if you're going to take notes, if we came in by birth, we have to go out by death. We have bondage to sin by birth, but we have deliverance from sin by death. So death is the secret of our emancipation. If we look at Romans 6, 2, it says this, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it any longer? How can we who died to sin, if we have died to sin, I think it's the, the message Bible that says, how can we who have, I think, I can't remember exactly how it words it. Basically, it says, how can we who have moved out of the country of sin still go back to our house there? And that makes so much sense. How can I practically, if I if I live in North Georgia now, how can I practically go back every night to sleep at my house in South Georgia where I used to live five hours away? That makes zero sense. 
Even let's let's give it even even a bigger, broader spectrum, okay, of separation. Let's say that I had a house in North Georgia and I moved to Africa. How practical is it for me to go back on a regular basis and live at my house in Georgia if I now reside in Africa? Okay, how practical is it for us who have been delivered from sin, who now live the life of Christ to go back to sin and remain there on a regular basis? How practical is it for us to give up the new life God has offered us because of a little bit of comfortability that we may miss from the old place where we used to live? That is not what he has designed for us. He is designed for us to walk in perfect unity and communion in the new life that he has given us. So the question is, how do we die? And the answer is simple. We die not by trying to kill ourselves with starvation or isolation, okay? But by recognizing that God has dealt with us in Christ, okay? Now I'm going to go back and explain what I mean by we don't have to try to kill ourselves with starvation or isolation. For two reasons, okay? If I try to kill myself by starvation, then it's like, let's say that I realize my problem is music okay i listen to horrible music and as a result that music feeds this part of sin in me that did the that then results in me committing sins externally okay so as a result for me to not listen to sinful music i decide to never listen to any music ever again as long as i live no music i'm going to cut it out okay that's not practical and you'll never be able to do that, okay? Because you'll eventually give up. You'll want to listen to some music or if it's TV, let's, this is the best example and I'll just give this because this is something that I used to do. I was addicted to pornography. So what I would do is I would delete every single possible app that I could ever get close to anything that remotely resembled pornography. I deleted off my phone and I wouldn't look at it, okay? I would put internet browser blockers, all this kind of stuff, all right? But here's the problem. All that solved was the problem of me actually looking at pornography. It never solved the desire to look at it. It never eliminated my desire for sin. So eventually, here's what would happen. My desire, because it had been starved, would get strong enough that it overcame my willpower to say no. So what I had to do is I had to say, okay, God, I don't want that anymore. I want you. So when I just said, God, I want you and I want to fall in love with you and I want to get rid of my flesh and I want to have a new life in you. When I made that decision, the desire to look at pornography went away. So therefore, I could keep my internet browsers. I could keep every everything that I used to have to delete because I was worried about temptation. Those things, I'm not scared of them anymore. I don't, I don't just spend all my time on internet and social media anymore just because it's a waste of time. But I'm not scared of those things because I no longer have the desire to look at those things within me because I killed the flesh. I murdered it on the cross and I partook of what Jesus offered me 2,000 years ago. And when I did that, I received freedom. And that is how we do it. We don't have to go live on an island somewhere by ourselves. We don't have to start just getting rid of all the things we think is going to help. We just give our life over to him and let him do with it what he wants. So uh, Romans 6, 3, Romans 6, 3 says this. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we have all been baptized into Christ's death. So how do I get in? 
this seems like a big problem now too. It seems like, how the heck do I get into Jesus? How do I get into this new freedom? How do I get into this new life that God offers me? Well, the, the answer to that is you're already in. God's already placed you in that. We can do nothing to get in. We are in. We need only to realize that we could not... We need. Hang on a second. I'm sorry. This I started reading too fast. We need only to realize that what we could not do for ourselves, God has done for us. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, He has placed us inside of Christ. We have a promise that God has already accomplished what we are not capable of accomplishing. He has already taken us and before we were even born, placed us inside of Christ. All we have to do is realize and receive the revelation that that is something we have access to and we have to start walking in that. We need not plan how to get in. God has already planned it and he has performed it. We are in Christ. Therefore, we do not have to try and get in. It is a divine act and it is already accomplished. I don't have to beg. I don't have to plead. I don't have to worry or wonder what's going to happen. I just give myself to Christ. And when I give myself to him, he says, I've been waiting on you. I already have this freedom uh, available for you. God placed you. My father placed you inside of me before you were even born, before you were even thought of. And I want you to know that I have freedom ready for you. I have freedom waiting for you. Not only have I forgiven you of your sins, but through my my sacrifice. I want to offer you deliverance from the problem of sin inside of you. That is the beautiful thing that we have access to. So that's all for tonight, but this is what I want you to do, okay? This next week, I want you to pray for God to reveal to you the truth of what we've just talked about. And I want you to reveal, I want you to pray for him to reveal to you the reality of you being placed inside of Christ and what that means. The reality of you being a new creation and you having access to murder the flesh and crucify the part of you that wants to keep on sinning and you can claim the freedom of Jesus and you can walk in the fullness of all that you've been given and through that you'll begin to value everything that God has given us way more than you could ever imagine. So I love you guys. I hope that you have an awesome week and I hope that you just get in the word, read Romans, read Romans 5 and 6 and just study it and just really pray for God to reveal those things to you and make them real to you because until they become real to you, you'll never begin to live it, okay? So have an awesome week and I'll see you next Thursday.